This is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been tuning in and sharing the show with your friends. We really appreciate you. Um, if you have a minute, go subscribe at Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. Um, you can also follow us on Spotify and on Instagram. It's at Kraz Plus One, K-R-A-Z Plus One. We really appreciate you spreading the word and letting people know about the show. So I'm really excited about the guests on the show today. I have Clyde and Gracie Lawrence the sibling duo from the group Lawrence. They're both incredible singers, songwriters, and Clyde's a great piano player. They lead their group Lawrence, which is an incredible band if you haven't heard them. They blend soul music and pop music and a little bit of Broadway in there. Their influences range from Stevie Wonder to the Beatles to Randy Newman. You'll hear all of that in their music, but Mostly what impresses me with them is how they've created such a unique songwriting style. Their songs are soulful, but they're also clever and funny. And they've been able to build this online presence um, where just so many people love them and they come out to their shows and they sell out shows all over the country now. I had the pleasure of producing their very first album, which was such a cool experience for me, being around their energy, watching them create these songs and helping them arrange them. And then in turn, watching them grow as artists and build this following has been such a cool experience for me. So I'm excited to get into this one with Clyde and Gracie, but first we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. They're both amazing singers, songwriters, leaders of the band Lawrence, and my favorite sibling duo. I'd like to welcome today's Plus Ones, Clyde and Gracie Lawrence. The first thing that I guess I want to ask you a little bit is about the new record, because it just, just came out, and it's called Hotel TV. And I'm curious what the process was like, get into a little bit of like the creation of that album and how you guys made it, and, and was it made during the pandemic? A lot of it was made during the pandemic. Oh, as as you know about us, like we just bank songwriting material. So like a lot of the bits of songwriting were from way before the pandemic, yeah. you know, from years ago or things. There that were didn't probably bits of things or, that didn't make breakfast yeah. that like ended up as the bridge on something of the, you know, it's not yeah. right. Thing. right. So right. like that's hard to say, you know, that that was made during the pandemic. But I think a lot of the putting together of the pieces at least for the songs that weren't like the singles, which some of them came out before, even before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of that did happen during COVID. And right. it was it was a little bit interesting because yeah, I think we've always been a band that balances the sort of like in the box digital sounds mm -hmm. and the live sounds as well as from a process standpoint, we've always been a band that balances the like people playing together in a room with the like adding one element by element sort of a thing right and so on breakfast it was you know like more so live and like at least the basis of the tracks for the most part were like played live together and then our next album living room was like somewhere in between there was a solid handful of tracks where the bass and the drums were played together but then a lot of it was supplemented like and like a lot of it was built not that way at all and then on this album like 
by necessity, it was pretty far in the other direction. There's only one song on the album where, like, any two live instrumentalists even tracked at the same time together. Like, there's one song where our drummer Sam and our bassist Karsh like actually played together at the same time and the rest of it was like done piece by piece often with people in different places sending stuff back and forth to each other which was kind of a pain honestly but there were some cool things about it I guess do you think that there are pluses like I'm curious to hear your pluses and minuses to recording like in a room with the band versus kind of like meticulously creating each part you know and kind of adding in the process of producing the pluses of doing it together is like frankly it's sometimes easier to know what the right part is while other people are playing together. Right. Like sometimes a drummer will play and it'll be like, oh, is what he's doing like way too much? Or is it just that the bass isn't even in yet? Or like we have scratch bass in that maybe I played that we're thinking we might have our bassist replay, but then it's like what the drummer's doing isn't gelling with what I'm playing, but maybe it will. You know, it, it, it kind of eliminates a lot of those confusions if you get people playing together and you find a thing that works. Yeah. Um, But then, yeah, I mean, the downside is obviously, like, I just think that, like, the ability to hone the specific sounds and a lot of that kind of stuff and... Honestly, just like the cost of getting a space, you know, we recorded most of the this album in our bedrooms between my bedroom that we're doing this interview from and like Jordan's bedroom, like most of it was done in those places or a lot of it. So like just space wise, but yeah, I don't know. I think that like more so than recording as a group, one thing that is really helpful that we didn't get to do on this album is like actually getting together with the band and just like playing the songs live. Whether we then record them piece by piece or not, I really like to play the songs live because you get a real sense of like what's working and what's not. And that was something we weren't really able to do on this album. Right, right. I feel like the arrangements can sometimes be dictated by like some of the instincts of the band and how the band's playing together. Um, yeah, totally. And also it's like the, yeah, the arrangements and all sorts of different choices can reveal, you know, themselves when you're playing in a room, you know? Yeah. And like yeah. even, even songwriting things, like you'll yeah. play in front of a crowd and you'll be like, Oh, this section isn't working. And there were a few moments on this album, like a good example being like hotel TV, the title track, the second song there was in the bridge like is this part where Gracie's saying all these like really what I thought were really clever lyrics and um but like there's a lot of lyrics and story in the song in general and a suggestion that both came from like within the band Mark our trumpet player suggested it and John Bellion who produced the album with us suggested it was to just like scrap all the lyrics and turn the bridge into like a na 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 thing partially because he was like imagine like how sick that would be in the crowd like everyone's just going to be singing this na 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 thing and it's like during a non-pandemic time we would have just like whipped out the song unreleased and like tried it out and right. like been able to feel that energy and like kind of test that hypothesis that that would be a really good songwriting choice. Yeah. Is that something you think about a lot? And is that also a piece to the evolution of the band is like, once you go out and play, um, how does that inform your writing? Do you, do you guys end up writing? Do you, are you thinking about how you're going to perform it when you're recording it and producing it and writing it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it can be like a blessing and a curse because we are such a 
being a lot a band that plays live is such like a big part of our identity but i think that sometimes you know if we play a song like all the songs that we did for breakfast were all songs that we had been touring for years before we went into the studio with you and i think that that was a really um difficult thing for us to detach from like those arrangements and a huge part of what you were so instrumental in in helping us do for the album was like respecting those arrangements but like really honing in on what was working and what would make the song good in a recorded context and so i think sometimes like sometimes i personally like the idea of of not thinking about how it's going to play live and not thinking about that and just thinking about how it sounds as a song and we can always change it for the live arrangement you know we for like a song freckles we have a whole section of the song live that we don't have on the recording um but we did make the recording or the sort of like basis of the recording before we played it live and i'm really glad we did that because we might have chosen to put chosen that, to outro put that whole it. outro in it and i think that would have been a mistake well that's like actually yeah it is funny because this conversation does like juxtapose with the breakfast process so much because like i think of a song like where it started from the original demo of where it started from didn't have the whole outro um that, that you took a solo on um i had written that and thought of it as a live thing and when we played it live we did that but I thought, like, because I was trying to be, like, a guy that knows the difference <laughs> between what's a good live arrangement and a good studio arrangement, like, I was like, oh, the studio version will just end. It won't do that whole thing. And then everyone was like, no, we got to do that. So it is funny, like, because, yeah, this song Freckles. The song by song basis. Song by song basis. Like, this song Freckles, similarly, if you've seen us do it live or heard the live version, which is out on Spotify, we go into this whole, like, built-out outro with, like, a ripping solo and everything. And, yeah, like, that's not on the record. Record, you know it's just interesting it also like speaking of breakfast like some of the songs that became the most popular and sounded the most sort of like studio so to speak were some of the ones that we hadn't been playing right. as long and right so like something like misty morning which is like still probably the second most popular song on that album after do you want to do nothing with me yeah like and our fans still to this day like we that's play one of the most all the time. yeah we play right it right and show. that one was definitely kind of produced in a different way than some of the other songs in terms of like, I don't think there was ever the band, the band wasn't really, I mean, the band played on it, but wasn't really involved in the inception of it. Yeah. Well, we wrote that later yeah. enough that like you were kind of able to like collaborate with us on an arrangement on it from, like, it, the, ground from the ground up, up right, rather right. than you coming in and saying, Hey, you know, let's, what, what do we want to change about something you guys have had solidified for so long? Um, from an arrangement perspective. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it is It is interesting because as a producer, I love creating from the ground up and sometimes that's the most satisfying. But then if you see, a, it, like I remember seeing you guys and I was just having this uh, memory of me sitting in the basement there and that was at Jordan's house, right? Remember when I had like my little notepad in the corner? <laughs> I feel like we didn't tell you this, but like there are so many p people who were like, I mean, all of us, but, like, I think of Karsh, who, like, absolutely <laughs> idolizes you. And just, so like, funny. never, you didn't meet anyone in the band yet. Yeah. And just, like, people the were fear. So people were so nervous. People were so nervous. Yeah, yeah. I, I was hope so I didn't nervous. give that vibe. I hope I didn't No, you were so nice. You were so nice. And I just remember us, like, 
Like, I just remember being really nervous, personally. But you guys were so tight and so good already. And I had produced a few things in those couple years before where no, where people showed up and said, all right, Krabs, what should we do? Like, literally, yeah, you right. know, coming from... And you guys were not only so tight and had so many great songs, but you guys were had really great suggestions and ideas and I was so impressed by you guys and especially for how young you were like I still don't think of you guys as your age you know because you guys were so I don't know just you, you got on, on so many levels because it was also like you had like the van and you knew how to pack it and you had like this oh with this little and I'm like I was like <laughs> taking notes from like you guys <laughs> on like your whole well, touring we, we thing made you too. your Snapchat and, I remember that that was a good one yeah yeah you guys tried to teach you Snapchat <laughs> and you guys did a great job in the tutorial but I just couldn't handle it um, yeah it, and Victoria just tried to like she's been trying to show me TikTok and it's yeah. I like wow. almost can't even hold the phone long enough like it's everything's going around I'm like, I don't know, hey. like that's actually how I feel on TikTok too though I think that that's like just everyone's experience I just it. can't yeah. do it at all I'm like I never put butts in here and there's butts everywhere I was like I just I follow like two guitar players and there's butts in my face um, well, <laughs> like, I'm not there. there. I followed two guitar players and there's butts in my You know, I just completely, that was it. I took like, yeah, I, I didn't give it much of a chance. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I was always like so impressed by you guys. And also just that everyone in the band um, also had so many skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, you know, especially coming from the different situations that I come from and like, you know, Johnny's like building, you know, I, I don't even know what he was doing back there in his computer, yeah. like, you know, building yeah. br like brand new, new concepts for websites and things. Yeah. And, you know, like Sam is like doing real estate and like you guys, <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, this band does like so much. I mean, it was sort of by design a little bit in that, like. I think we are aware, not only just like intuitively, but from many people telling us that like being an eight piece band is not a particularly smart financial decision, <laughs> Yeah, which takes very little common sense and math to put that conclusion together. So I think that like where we try to kind of, uh, you know, boost around the margins is by using the fact that we have an eight piece band to actually benefit us in that we have you could call it like an eight person free like labor you know team you know what i mean in terms right. of, in terms of just like you know like at least in the early going and over time we we relinquish some of these things but still try to have as diy of a mindset as we can but like especially in the beginning and still up till now in many of these cases it's like Someone in the band needs to become an expert on how to maintain a van. Like, let's not outsource that to someone else. There's eight yeah. smart people here. Someone do that. Like, someone in the band needs to learn all about how to run a merch fulfillment company. Because there's no right. reason why we couldn't be shipping our own merch rather than paying someone a bunch of money to do that. Someone in the band needs to learn how to advance a show and be like a tour manager. You know, it's like when there's that many people and they're all really smart and capable, you can actually save money. Of course, you're not, 
you're, you're still losing money and that you're so many people are getting a piece of the pie but you can save money by involving less people because if you're a solo act then you have to you do have to bring on all these other pieces anyway so we try to just keep the mindset of like let's try to bring on as few people beyond what is already a kind of inflated crew as possible right right and I think also what you're doing is you're creating and I remember when you guys first came to the studio and we met down in Greenpoint and you guys yeah. were kind of telling me about the band and you kept listing more and more people and as you listen more people my face got like oh man <laughs> but once I saw you guys perform and started to meet everyone and understand everybody I was like oh this is gonna not only be amazing for the live performance which is in turn gonna bring more people but there's gonna be this longevity to it which you guys have proved you know and and I think beyond my initial knowledge of what everyone did you know now that you're explaining it all it's like kind of incredible and it's like such good um knowledge for everybody out there because so many people that i know they're trying to start bands they're trying to do the all these things and they never can quite get off the ground because they have too many expenses and they have too many people but you know really you guys were just ready to hit the road and do it and take on all those responsibilities and like actually put people in these different roles where you didn't have to hire out different people and it's just it's so smart yes it improves the shows and it makes it so that from the outset we were playing these like really tight eight piece shows which was like a product that we were offering that a lot of competing bands couldn't offer at that level so in a business sense there was advantages to it but it also was just a matter of like these are our best friends right so it's like it's actually also just like made it way more fun like yeah. you know like touring can be really grueling especially if you're touring with a bunch of hired musicians who don't have a personal investment in the band yep. and like it just made it really like fun and exciting and to this day remains really fun and exciting that like when we're touring we're also like on a road trip which is something that people pay to do and take vacation time <laughs> off yep. of their job to do yeah. we're yeah. like on a road trip with literally our best friends from childhood and, and, and I, our family and yeah. I think it's also it is the thing of like you know however many years ago when loading happened every single one of us would have would be loading things in and people knew which things were gracie carryable items and like because i could only carry certain things and like that even though you know some of the venues that we're playing now people are coming out and helping us load in like like it just ingrained in all of us this sort of like the spirit of the band that everyone is going to be involved in some capacity and see where people need help and like you know, etc. So I think that that's a nice spirit to to live in the band, even when the actual activities themselves become less and less relevant. The right. sort of feeling of like, where can I help? Is a yeah. Is a everyone really is aware that one. like they're one of eight people in the band. They need to be they they are incentivized to want to find like tasks that are, seem exciting to them that make up an eighth of the responsibility of running the band. So it's yeah. almost like right. people jump at the opportunity to do a task or take on a project that feels like something they would want to do because they know that if they don't, the other people in the band are going to be like, hey, are you pulling your weight as one of the eight people in this band? So it actually creates this great thing where people are like, ooh, that sounds like something I'd be good at and yeah. have fun doing. And, so, and that's going to kind of fill my sort of responsibility. Um, so and, that's kind of the yeah. culture we've tried to create. I'm curious, and I want to go back a little bit um, to 
what it was like growing up in the in the Lawrence household because um, I just kind of like imagine I have this like image of like you guys just singing in harmony and like dancing arm in arm like yeah it was <laughs> like, kind of like exactly. have you seen have you seen in Step Brothers there's like. In Step Brothers, the movie, there's like this scene with like the annoying family that's all like singing harmonies in their car yeah, on yeah. the way to the house, and they're like, Ooh, a little flat that time. Yeah, like, yeah. That was yeah. a little bit kind of a definite component of it to this day, but also when we were little kids for sure. Yeah, I think your your description is uncomfortably apt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but interesting because your dad your dad's not really a musician, right? I mean, he's he's, he's he a is. good musician, but it's not his professional job. Right. Oh, okay. So yeah. cuz I for those of you guys that don't know, he's a filmmaker, a screenwriter, a producer, has um, been very very successful and and you guys have worked together with him and there's yeah. you yeah. know there's a lot of history there that I, I want to get into some of that but like what were the what were the records you guys that he was playing when you were kids do you kind of remember singing along to to particular artists that made you guys want to play and like want to sing we were just exposed to like a lot of Beatles yeah. a lot of classic rock and a lot of Motown that was sort of, I think, the foundation of our... I'd say the only band that my dad consistently played that was, like, putting out music after the year, like, 1995 oh, was, like, Fountains of Wayne. Okay, um, interesting. Which is, like, one of his favorite bands and one of our favorite bands. But, yeah, it was a lot of... Yeah, a lot of Motown, a lot of... Yeah, like, The Who, The Kinks, The Beatles. Our mom's a dancer. Yeah. Too, mom's a dancer so. and dance teacher, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She works with kid, uh, with little kids. Um, and my mom's obsessed with the Grateful Dead, which I think yeah. she probably talked to you about. Oh, I love um, that. I already loved your parents so much, but when I found <laughs> that out, I was like, "Oh man, I can I? I just want to be like the distant uncle. I guess I'd be an uncle or a cousin yeah. or whatever." But yeah, I love your parents so much. But that was like, "Oh yes, your mom's the best," because I would not have expected that coming from you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our mom's but, more of like a hippie than we are, probably. Yeah, yeah. My mom, um, big Grateful Dead fan. And then my dad also, I think, was really good at like at seeing what we were interested in and offering suggestions as to what the next musical uh thing that we could listen to would be uh, um cool. so like i was obsessed with britney spears as a kid like uh, like it hit me at the perfect time i was five years old i had a birthday party that was britney spears themed my face was on a cake next to hers um it was a lot and yeah. <laughs> i also but i i what i loved was i just loved the like umph of the songs like I think that my dad like realized that I was just into how like big the songs were and right, right. and and he was like okay you clearly like female singers who there are these sort of pop big personality. personality songs there's a lot of theatrics going on so then he just introduced me to like Aretha Franklin, which is not what you would think A to B, Britney Spears to Aretha Franklin, but he was like, I think you're gonna really like this. And I was like, obsessed, like fully just became like obsessed with Aretha Franklin. Then I think he showed me the Go Go's, and um, as a ki little kid, I was obsessed with Sheryl Crow. Oh, I also loved Blondie. Um, yeah, a like, lot of like female. A lot of, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good Stone. mix, though. That mix, those like four or five artists you just said, yeah. are, that's such an interesting, cool mix. 
And for yeah. me, I remember being like obsessed with Elton John as a kid. My dad showed me. I distinctly remember we were in LA and my dad put on Take Me to the Pilot by Elton John in his car and I was like immediately obsessed. And then from there he showed me like all the Billy Joel stuff and yeah. showed me Ben Folds was like a modern more modern artist that I course, became yeah. really obsessed with and still am. And then I remember like also like my dad's really into Elvis Costello and I remember talking with him about how clever I thought Elvis Costello's lyrics were. And then like, and I remember that being like the jumping off point for him showing me Randy Newman. And then that was like the most mind blowing for me. Like Randy uh. Newman is still to this day, probably my favorite songwriter. Oh, also the Beach Boys is a huge yeah. band that, that that's probably up there for in terms of bands that our dad showed us. It was probably like classic rock, Motown and the Beach Boys. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. And Clyde, how old were you when you started playing? I played... Uh, drums as like a super like 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 a baby. Yeah, we'll I send think, you videos. I think, oh yeah, yeah. send me some of that. Yeah, he if, can't like talk, and he's just like. Yeah, yeah. Go, definitely. Like, if crazy. like Instagram was around, then I would have been like one of those babies with like an Instagram baby. drum presence. Nice. Um, that really missed my my peak time with that, but yeah. I was definitely a Instagram worthy drum baby. Yeah. And then and then I Yuck. started playing piano at like age three or four. So when I say I was really young when I was playing drums, like by the time I played piano, I was already like super into drums. But it was like three or four I started playing piano. And I was writing songs from like shortly after. Like I was writing songs from the time I was like four or five, including like I don't think any full songs that I wrote when I was four or five have turned into Lawrence songs, but certainly a song that I wrote when I was five ended up playing a pretty significant role in one of my dad's movies and, yeah. and like pieces of songs that I wrote when I was like four or five, six, seven, eight still make their way into Lawrence songs all the time. Like a, a bit of melody or, a, or like a section of a song or whatever. Um, the lyrics were probably a little more juvenile than what I would write now, but musically pretty into it and then I didn't really sing I didn't really consider myself a singer at all frankly until like high school my voice kind of changed and developed this sort of very raspy quality that it has now which it totally didn't have before and I just kind of sang for the purpose of getting my songs out there and playing at school events and things and people were like really into my voice and that was kind of a turning point for me before that I didn't really think of myself as a singer or frankly a performer, which I think was kind of the opposite of Gracie's life I, journey. I remember you doing, like we had an acapella group at our high school that was actually really good. And you wanted, Clyde wanted to be like the arranger of the acapella group, but he had to audition, to, he had to sing to audition to even like just be like the person. Yeah, I asked them the if I could join it and only do the arrangements. And they were like, no, you need to sing. Yeah. So he, I remember you like auditioning songs for me and just being like, does that sound like I'm singing? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've always like, had really good pitch. I've always yeah. had like, totally really good pitch and ability to sing harmonies and like understanding yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I've just never been like, it almost You've felt like acting just, yeah. or like, I'm really bad at acting and like, 
I just don't really commit. So it's like, I almost felt like, or like, I don't really like dancing. It was almost like this weird thing where it was like, I played music my whole life, but I was like, I don't really know how to like sing as if I'm like really trying to like sell a song, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm I like can this. fully relate. I mean, I did, that's, I can fully relate on every level. Cause I was always like, I'm a musician, but I don't want to be out there like doing any of the, you know, I don't want to be like in front of, like I still like, like when we do videos from, I don't like to be in them. I don't want to be in front of things. You know what I mean? I kind of like, so I can, I can totally relate. So when you were writing those songs, Clyde, where you, you were like singing them enough to just get it across. I made like demos. Like I have demos of songs I made when I was like seven. I mean, I have a demo that I made of wash away a song that made it onto breakfast that I wrote. I think I wrote that song in like eighth grade. So like I have a demo from like eighth grade of me singing that song. And like, and were you studying like music theory and things like that, or did you what what informed your songwriting in terms of like chord structure? Were you like learning Randy Newman songs or learning these Beatles songs, and then kind of did that help inform harmony for you, or was it were you like studying it? I definitely wasn't formally studying it. Right. Um. I definitely was in my own way formally studying it. Like I'm just a very methodical person, so like. I think I very much like set out on this journey to like understand all the chords and like I think I had enough intuitive ability that like you're very I... good at anything math related. Yeah. And so I think yeah. just to clarify that, I feel like music became part of that same line of thinking. Yeah, so I would be like you know, let's say when I was, I would distinctly remember, it's almost like a toolbox. I remember when I was like five or six, feeling like I really understood the one, the four, the five, the six minor, maybe like the two minor and the three minor. And like feeling like I could really like navigate through those and like identify them whenever I heard them in songs and like use them effectively to make right. music. Right. And then like I remember, and I'll often remember like specific instances, like I remember, um, there's an Oasis song called All Around the World. And I remember loving the chorus to that and realizing that the second chord of it was like a two dominant, like a two major, which I had never... And I remember being like, ooh, I want the ability to like have this in my arsenal. And I like went to my piano and like looked at it and I was like, okay, so that's the two. So it has the four sharp in it. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. And then I like played around with it enough that it was like, okay, in the toolbox. And then yeah. same, same and same and so on and so on, including to like recently, you know, I'll listen to a song. I was listening to like a PJ Morton song, you know, a few months ago and like really sat down to really figure out what the chords were and included some stuff that I've never kind of like employed before. And I was like, okay, let me get that like into my toolbox. So to speak, I want to switch to Gracie for a quick second. And I'm curious when you started, well, actually I'm curious if acting or singing came first, probably singing, but I just, that's more of a, I wasn't like professionally acting until I was probably like nine, okay. But okay. I, I did everything possible to like perform for people. Like right. that was definitely like a tenant of my it was personality. Like polar opposite of me. Yeah, right. that's and interesting. I, and I, I, I felt also like my family was very receptive to that. Yeah. So it was actually I think my mom's suggestion that I take an acting class. It hadn't even really occurred to me, um, but I just. I loved to dance as a kid, and so I, there's like so much footage of me in our living room 
with Aretha Franklin on, like acting it out as if it were like a big play, like the song, like so- the whole album. Right. I remember doing that like once Very a day, Broadway. like going from yes. like the beginning of the album to the end of the album, being like, I know what's coming next, like, and then this happens, and then singing it and acting it out. So like, I think I just loved anything like that. I also remember at a really young age, you had a piano teacher, Nick Scarum, um, who. Uh, maybe around you were like six or something and I remember having this instinct that I might actually be like good at singing like I just had this like kind of gut feeling that like I was like oh this isn't that hard like I I had that thought and when when we would be in like school and sing songs I would kind of sometimes be quiet and listen to the people around me and I'd be like oh I'm like so much better than them Um, (laughs) I was like what are they doing like this sounds terrible and then I would kind of like sing and I remember doing very small little like changes to melody in like kindergarten when we would sing like we learned we actually learned A train in like kindergarten nice. at our school and I remember being like like getting really into it. Um but yeah, anyway, when I went back to home and you were there one <laughs> day imagining you like scatting like I mean it's like so accurate. Yeah. Um but I remember asking I think my mom maybe was like said to Nick Scarum, this piano teacher, you know, Gracie's like really interesting. And to be clear, Nick Scarum was my piano teacher. I did have a very formal training in like the playing of piano. Right, like right, he helped right. me he helped me a ton with all of the technical side of it and definitely was like is a fantastic musician and was always someone that we were like jamming on songs and playing them and everything. His so I think I did have a very formal or semi-formal training to like the ability to play piano and then later guitar at like a on a physical level. Yeah. Right, right. Um I remember singing something for him and him saying to my mom like she's like three and she sang the whole song in the same key like that was like a thing and i remember thinking like what's a key like i think i did do that right like i did sing twinkle twinkle little star and i stayed in the same key and like could think about that so i remember all of the the beginnings of really enjoying singing itself and like trying to be really good at it and singing you know for friends or like we would do little american idol games and always like winning those and those little like markers were really important to me and i just loved i loved singing from a really young age um but yeah but you didn't start writing songs until more like high school i started writing in middle school when you yeah, I started writing songs in middle school and starting to play piano, really basic piano in middle school. I was playing very um, different stuff than I think we would play now. It was a little more like ballady sort of. It was during the Adele height of yeah, Adele era. Yeah. And I think it was a lot of like someone like you sort of ballady songs. And then in high school, I sort of wrote a lot more like finished songs. and. I remember as Clyde's musical sort of vision became clearer and clearer, I was like, oh, I really like that. I wonder if I could write in that style, too. In a more, like, soulful. In a more soulful, yeah. Right, right. And and I remember when you were at college, maybe because I was, like, the the piano was at home and I was there and I had the, you know, not that Clyde is, like, Clyde's a very non-judgmental person, but, like, I think something about being the responsibility of having to 
uh, support myself while singing just like forced me to get a little better at piano and a little more experimental with like writing stuff. Um, and so I tried to kind of write more in the tone of things that I saw was sort of the direction that Clyde was going in. And I think a lot of those melodies are also in our Lawrence songwriting bank. Like by the time I was in high school, I was writing bits and pieces that were like, you know, me and you, which is on breakfast. I wrote in, I think, 11th grade. Um, it's very like basic chords, but um, just, just melodies that started to become more and more Lawrence-y as I got older. Also, you spent time acting on Broadway, and you've also yeah. written a, various different films, some um, that your dad worked on and some outside of that. I mean, I know Broadway is a part of your guys's life and yeah. repertoire, and you do <laughs> think that 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 like, tell me a little bit about that experience. I know you did Brighton Beach Memoirs, am I right? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. I didn't know until I actually did some research right before this, and that yeah. was like my favorite movie when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, I I like it was like one of the like five VHSs that you know we had in my house when I was a kid, and I loved that. Wow, that's it's so funny. it's so Jewish. I can't. That's that's surprising to me. That's yeah. hilarious. Well, my my dad's side is Jewish. My grandparents were like you know all about that that movie. But I do think it actually just informed me as like a performer. Yeah. Like it was just such a being thrown into the deep end kind of a situation. Like, yeah. I was not a Broadway kid, of which right. there are many. Right. So I auditioned for this job, kind of got it on a fluke. Like, I kept going through the audition process being like, I guess I'm going to the next round of this audition. That's crazy. Yeah. And got the job. And I remember being up against all of the kids who were like, the star of this show and Mary Poppins. They'd all been in yeah. Mary Poppins. They'd all been in The Grinch, you know? And so I think what it did for me, at least, was sort of a little, like, break me down and then build me back up again. Because I remember having, like, real imposter syndrome being there and, you know, kind of freaking out. And then what I realized I loved was once we actually started performing the play, like, the rehearsals, I was so scared the entire time. But once we actually got an audience there... I remember being like, oh, I so get this, and I'm like in the right place at the right time. And I think I was like 12, and I was like, once an audience is there, that's, I get it. Like, I get what I'm supposed to do. But without the audience, I'm very confused. Um, and I think that that's true of me as a performer now in some ways, too. Like, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm better in some ways when the pressure's on and when there's a crowd there and it helps me a lot figure out what my my place is did you guys spend a lot of time on set with your dad when he was working on films and yeah yeah a lot for sure yeah we kind of grew up always on sets and in some cases like moved out of new york for months at a time to wherever the set was oh um, wow so it was a really interesting experience to just see, like, you know, very, like, high-level professional creative work get made and see both the awesome parts of it and just, like, 
honestly some of like the monotony of it you know what i mean right. like it took yeah. a little took a little bit of like the when you see Glamour. them do like the same scene like 10 times and then from like five different angles and that was the day and then you're kind of like oh like yeah i don't know it just prepares you well for like how you know there's really exciting moments and then also some like you know it is work also you know yeah Gracie, do you think that affected your decision in one way or another in terms of being a musician versus being an actor? I always loved being on set and I always, I think, wanted to be on camera. So I think I knew, I I don't know, I, I always just knew from a young age that I loved both of these things. And I think we've really found a way in the band to like marry them a little bit, like in their music videos and stuff like that. We've really found a way for me to be like, I, I have... You know, I'm not, you know, Meryl Streep, but I certainly have particular acting abilities that are helpful in a music video context totally, or in no. a performing I mean, I think context. Our music um, videos have been a big part of what bring people into us, and I think your acting performances in those videos is a really big part of it. Yeah, that's huge. And I think both of you guys have such great concepts for videos. I remember when you guys were putting together the videos for breakfast, it was very impressive to see how you guys would put it together without really a huge team. You know, you guys were just doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And we still, to this day, really conceptualize all of our videos. We have the budgets are a tiny bit higher, but we still try to do things pretty DIY and not too much. Yeah, and we, and we've, <laughs> we've we've you know found some really really great talented people that we can work with on a semi consistent basis, but it still is a lot coming from us creatively. Yeah, for sure. wanted to talk a little bit about Brown, which is where both of you got. Well, Clyde graduated, <laughs> and, and Gracie, are you technically still a student? I, think, I honestly really don't know at this point. Like it's it's vague. I I never. You don't have to formally drop out. You, right. I sent them an email being like, I'm not gonna be there next semester or any of the foreseeable semesters. Right. And they right. were like, Okay, cool. Like, let us know if you want to come back. You may have to take some tests if you ever want to come back. Well, when I met you guys, you were still in high school, right, Gracie? Yeah, I, ju- I think I just graduated. Or maybe we met before, yeah, while I was, before, while I was yeah. in high school. Clyde, you were... Wait, were you still at Brown? I was probably like oh, just, a couple weeks from graduating. Just graduating. We're four years apart, so yeah, I was so just, just about. graduating high school. And I think I literally came down to the city to meet you like in the week that was between my senior year finals and my graduation ceremony. Right, And Gracie right. was probably like... But, um, and you would go up there... And visit, mm-hmm. and and then you guys would do gigs. Me back then, so you guys weren't called Lawrence at that point. I remember I was like really trying to convince you guys to be Clyde and Gracie. Yeah, yeah. which isn't a bad name still, but seeing how it all played out, you guys were probably right. I I relinquished my my suggestion. I don't think it was a bad idea. Also, somehow, like the breakfast sound could be more Clyde and Gracie Maybe in that's some true. ways than yeah, yeah. It has a more old school kind of flair to it but But, yeah and at the time you had made uh the homesick record and that was clyde lawrence band uh it was was like all confusing because it was under my name the homesick ep was under my just clyde lawrence and then i started playing shows at brown just under the name clyde lawrence but then it was like there was it was all my friends and it just felt weird to like bill it as my name and like be a consistent band right so then it just kind of became clyde lawrence band 
Yeah. And like that became a that would be like what most of the people at Brown would have known as. Or even like they called it CLB often, like right. abbreviated. CLB. Like, right. like people really definitely like knew They were like CLB stickers. Yeah, people like knew nice. what that was around Brand Brown campus to some extent for sure. Yeah. So it was definitely like when we realized that we wanted to change it to Lawrence, I kind of, and I think this was a pretty like smart foresight, like I kind of got ahead of that where like second semester senior year, I was like, if we're going to change it to Lawrence, let's do that and like really put that out there before I graduate because I want all these kids that are graduating to go to wherever they're living and not start telling people, oh, you got to check out this band, the Clyde Lawrence band. Like I didn't want there to be any confusion. So I wanted to make sure that everyone left Brown with a knowledge that we were now Lawrence going forward. So there's a really embarrassing like announcement video. I guess it's not that embarrassing. It was just funny because it's like definitely after the night of a party and we both look like very hungover. <laughs> um, and I mean, I shouldn't say that because I was under 21, but um, whoops. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're like announcing on Clyde's college porch. Like yeah. we're looking at camera in like a photo booth, the camera being like, Hi, like we're changing our name from the Clyde Lawrence band to Lawrence. But it was important. Yeah, no, it was a yeah. very smart move on your part. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you guys did make a video like in that house too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that went viral on Reddit. That was kind of like right. the big first thing that happened was uh yeah, we made a live session version of Do You Wanna Do Nothing with me in my senior year house and then it went kind of viral on Reddit. I remember you guys um, showing me Reddit in the studio there and remember when I had that little studio I was like Reddit because yeah. I think that was when you guys found because you guys were listening you guys I think showed me Wolfpack or I maybe had heard it but you guys were like you were like you need to really check this out and then in the research like Theo was like oh Soul Live I love Soul Live and da 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 yeah. and I was I think like that's well, why I showed it to you yeah yeah you showed that to me and that was how I met Theo who's like you know a homie to this day yeah. there you but, go. and I can't remember how I communicated with him and I was like can I just press the reddit button and uh, send him a <laughs> message and you're like uh no <laughs> but uh anyway yeah you guys have always been like so on like to another level with the the technology. In fact, Victoria was telling me a couple of things. She kept, she, she, cause you know, I did my, I did my little research and I know you guys fairly well, but yes. Victoria was like, did, did you know they went viral on TikTok recently? Yeah. Which I would not yeah, have known. True. And it's from a live <laughs> performance. Your baby probably knows about it. What's that? <laughs> I said your baby probably knows about he it. Probably he probably knows about TikTok it. Yeah, already. he's way more on TikTok. In fact, when you were telling me, when you were talking about the drum thing, I was thinking about him because he goes up to his bongos and plays bongos. Oh, my God. But the funny thing is, we usually go, yay, and we clap. But now he learned to clap, so now he just plays bongos and looks at me and claps for himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I was like, yeah, okay, but let's not do that for too long. Cause, um, right, at about age five, that's going to wear off. Yeah, exactly. Um, How does one go viral on TikTok for a complete idiot like me? We, uh, we no don't idea. know. Like that was know. not that was yeah. not a like stroke of genius. That was a complete stroke of luck. And I think I mean I guess the only part of it that was the song it was a live clip of the song Freckles. Right. And I think that song in particular has a very current Gen Z Gen Z yeah. <laughs> TikTokable uh, flair to it. 
Got it. Um, and not, it wasn't written because of, like, truly, like, all of these songs, we didn't have a TikTok until the pandemic. And this yeah. song was written way before the pandemic. But I think it was sort of one of those things where we, like, in retrospect, we're like, oh, that'd be a fun song to kind of throw up there. And we were playing it live, and we had put out these two live albums during the pandemic. And Clyde suggested that, um, you know, we were picking which songs to go on these live albums. And Clyde suggested maybe it'd be cool to debut the song Freckles. Because it was not on the studio. Was not we didn't studio have the idea. song out yet. Got it. Got um, it. Only people who would have come to, you know, the few live shows that we did before the pandemic um, would have seen it. Um, so only a few crowds. But we were like, that could be kind of fun to kind of like debut this song on the live album. So we put the live version on there. Um, and then... We, I think you saw that there was a fan. I happened to notice that there was a fan that had filmed our entire show in San Francisco, and we had all of the audio super well mixed for the live album. So I was like, we don't and really LA, have... And L.A. And L.A., yeah. So I, and so I was like, I asked that fan, can you just send me all of your iPhone videos, and I'm going to pair them with the super well mixed audio. And even though they're like random crowd videos, it'll at least be like fun content where like it'll be super high quality, well mixed and edited audio with just like a fan captured video of the song. And so I just did that thinking, oh, this will be like some fun little content to supplement the live album. And Gracie put it up and it just went incredibly viral and got 4 million views overnight. And literally like we didn't do anything fancy. It was just like the particular, I mean, the band sounds great. The mix sounds, I mean, Johnny and Jordan crushed the mix of the song. I think like the fan video is like front row and just happens to have like this energy that I feel like people were just like missing during the pandemic and the lyrics are really whatever and it just happened. So, you know you're beautiful. I think my face in the morning's rough. Did I wear braces for long enough? It sucks. I'm overly critical, so this ain't a typical me. My TV said make your eyebrows thin. I pulled them all out, now fix bacon. I can't win. I'm overly critical, so this ain't a typical me. I, I also wrote the lyrics out. On like, there, yeah. Or I watched, on there. I watched it earlier. I, I, yeah. There were, a, there were a bunch of them. And what was kind of weird was like, there was this... It was very, it was like luck. That song, I guess we had chosen, um, we were working with a lighting designer for this tour, and we had chosen for that song to be in this sort of like pink glow. Yeah. Um, or that was Nate, uh, his, his sort of feeling on the song. So this front row footage is like hot pink. And nice. then we put out like three more clips from that performance. And they're all in this like hot pink glow. And they all went kind of viral. And they wow. all like back to back went. The first one got like four hundred thousand in a day, and then the next one got four million, and that was like the one where we were like, "Whoa!" Um, but then another one. And then the day after, another hundred thousand yeah, or something. It was like a million. No, we had another one that got over. Another a one that got over a million. And they were all from the same performance. But what was crazy was that the song wasn't out. The studio yeah. version of the song wasn't out. Yeah. So we're getting thousands of people. First of all, we went from zero to 100,000 followers on TikTok like overnight. And, and, and a bunch of Instagram followers. Yeah. And, like, 
and ever. and the stu- the live version of Freckles spiked on Spotify. But then it was like we don't have the studio version out. Like, do we put the studio? So we literally got together, finished the studio version, and had it up on Spotify within a week. Oh, and smart. It's, yeah. Which is crazy. Like, I actually got a call from John Billion, who similarly does not really know much about TikTok. If you're a fan of him, you know he's not the most social media active guy, especially these days. And he literally called me. He was like, I don't know anything about TikTok, but all I hear is people are blowing up on TikTok. If I had just heard from someone, someone just showed me that your TikTok went viral we got to get in the studio and finish the song and put it out within the next week. And he was yeah. like, he was like, we should just put it out tomorrow. He was like, let's put it out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, however yeah. done it is. It sounds great. Cause you know, we were being nitpicky at that point. Yeah, we had, yeah. had it close to done. So it was like, it was crazy. We put it out and it is like one of our most popular songs right now. So we definitely did reap some benefits of it, but we definitely didn't like, reap we are full benefit. Yeah. We aren't one of those people that like, blew up on TikTok and we now have like a hit because of it because right. the song wasn't out when the TikTok blew up so it makes it a little harder right. all of those people had nowhere to go there definitely know. is something weird about that song in particular though that like consistently like a month later you know I post TikToks of that song we did a whole music video and I got a bunch of clips like of it on TikTok and it just like outperforms so many things so it's just a really interesting like is that because people knew it from TikTok? So it's like, they're, oh, they're like this song again. Or is it just like every time it's going up, people are just re-engaging with like these kind of lyrics or whatever and being yeah. like, oh, this is cool. I don't know. It's just like, who, who knows? Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. Does it take up too much energy having to occupy so many different... I suppose Facebook and Twitter just doesn't even really exist anymore. Did that get pushed out the side and now it's like... I, I post everything on everything. On everything. But, Does it yeah. take a lot of your time? Like, yeah. Or do, would you <laughs> say that it's worth the time versus like... Do you think it takes away from creative time or from other things? Yeah. And I think that... Only recently it has. Yeah. And I think that that is something that when I expressed that, yeah, it was just like, okay, this is just, you know, in the nature of how we deal with any issue or thing in the band, like, let's figure out the best way to solve that problem. Because yeah. what the solution shouldn't be is like, oh, I guess we'll just post less. You know, it's like yeah. it is such a fundamentally Yeah, it's like at the end of the day, thing. the answer to your question of does it take up a lot of time and take away from her creative time, the answer is yes. But is the an- but the answer to the question is it worth it is also yes. Also yes. That's so it's what, like, yeah, right. which is like kind of screwed up. But so it's like, how do we create a system in place? And this is like where my head's at as the person that isn't really posting because I just don't, I'm not as good at it as Gracie, but like as, as someone whose job it is to help like kind of lead the band and strategize is like, how do we come up with a way for Gracie to be just as involved in the posting in terms of like keeping our brand consistent and whatever, and us being able to have the same amount of output on these platforms, but have it not 
affect Gracie's life or or right. creative time negatively. And so that's what we're that we're literally like those are conversations we're having now in terms of like, you know, we just did a couple days ago, we were like, let's just make a bunch of videos for TikTok in like a two hour session that we just devote and then we're gonna pay someone a little bit of money. We're gonna do most of it. Then we're gonna pay someone a little money to just like clean them up, organize it, stuff that Gracie would normally do herself that would take like hours and doing them one at a time so it ends up taking your whole day every day. But then it's like, you know, just trying to like try things so that then like we have banked like a month's worth of stuff. Right. And we've so that paid. I just can go into a folder, say, I and think this is what we'll post today. Yeah. Put a caption on it done that's really smart i think you guys have found such a good balance though because you guys use these tools to that are generally these little snippets that some people live off of that and you're using it to draw people into your world and you make albums and songs with a lot of depth to it you guys are using it for really good reasons I'm not really good at posting and I, I ended up just taking clips of like live stuff that someone randomly will send me and be like, Oh, this is pretty good. I haven't posted anything. Yeah. And I rarely create material just for social media. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I'm sure that I will when I have like an album out and I'll try, I'll try to like do things that are a little bit more directed towards that. But um, yeah, I actually think I remember Gracie, you were kind of, I've all, I've always gone to you with the questions for that type of stuff because like so you nice. know how to navigate <laughs> it and also do it like creatively and cool when you go on and you're trying to tell people to like buy a ticket to your show it's like it's just like to be able to make that ask and give the information clearly but say it with personality it's just like a hard thing and to not do. too think, long yeah i think gracie's just found yeah. a really good like voice for the band that That's like so nice. when ultimately what you're doing on social media is sort of like asking people to like pay attention to you or invest their time and their money into you. You have to like do it in the right way. I think like anything, it's also just like storytelling. Like you're just trying to tell at this point, it's not something I think about as much, but like specifically in the beginning when we were just working with, just started working with you. Um, I remember our Instagram was fairly new. Like our social media was fairly new. And it was just to me about like, introducing the band and like introducing the vibe and introducing how we were going to talk and introducing that Clyde and I were siblings and what our personalities were. And I think now I don't think about that nearly as much, but still sometimes I'm like, oh, what the thought of like, if someone was just coming across us today and this was the first thing that they saw yeah, of us, think of it? what I would think they think of it? The and I think that that's like an important thing to just think about like every time you're putting out anything whether that be a picture or like a video or whatever. One um, one thing that I can say um, very clearly about you guys is that you guys do a great job of showing who you are in your in, in your social media and in your music. So nice. And like you know, I've seen a lot of artists in my day um, <laughs> have have success. You know what I mean? And I'm always like, once they get to like their third album, they can start doing really well. I can see they like wear different clothes and they just have a different yeah. thing. And it's like, yo bro, it's me. I'm on the, you know? And um, 
<laughs> or whatever. I don't know. That was a horrible uh, imitation of someone that of doesn't exist. <laughs> but uh, no, but yeah. you guys are, like, if I jumped through your Instagram, like, into your room, like, I've been in the room, and I can tell you it's yeah. pretty much the same. Like, what you know yeah. what I mean? You guys obviously know how to produce your videos, but it's your, you guys show your personality, and, you know, you guys are, like, very real with your music. And I think that is has a lot to do with your success because people really can relate to you guys and like you guys as people. It goes beyond the songs. We have always thought about that. And, you know, I think even dating back to when we were working with you, like we've always talked about as much as all the music that we reference as being our influences, like influences being like great TV shows like Seinfeld and things like that, where it's like you get to know the characters and like there's season over season of it. And like, songs can be like little episodes and having like a lot of humor and personality in the music and i think that like even dating back to your song like do you want to do nothing with me yeah like i think the reason why i felt really and i don't remember if people disagreed with me on this or not but the reason why like i when i wrote that was like i think this should be the first song on our first album right was because i was like even if it's not necessarily going to be our most popular song or everyone's favorite song, which it ended up actually being, you know, very popular for us, like, is, it just really tells you a lot about who we are, and it feels like the pilot episode of a TV show in terms of, like, our personalities are right there in it, and, yeah, I think, like, to your, we always try to do these songs that, like, feel like we have a song on our next album called Probably Up. And, you know, similarly, that's like, it's just these little things where it's like, to know that song is to know us as people. And it feels like, it does feel like when our fans talk to us, like, I don't know if other artists that are more kind of like a vibe in their artist thing feel this way, but I certainly feel like our fans, like, feel like they know me so well. And I'm yeah. re- I'd be really yeah. interested to know what, like, because, like, I, you know, I, I'll get, like, recognized on the subway and some will be like, Oh, hey, Clyde, what's up? And, like, just, like, start, talk, like, talking to me as if, like, we fully know each other, which I'm totally down for, by the way. But it's just, like, I wonder whether an artist with a, with a similar size fan base but a slightly different approach where they're, like, wearing some crazy thing or having yeah, a whole yeah. vibe, like, if when they're getting talked to or recognized by their fans... If it's like a whole different, if they're more intimidated. But yeah, more intimidated <laughs> or like less sure of how to. You know, people yeah. will be like, "Oh, hey, Clyde, oh, did you see yeah. the Met game last night?" Yeah. Da, 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 da. Like yeah. they know like what I'm all about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that's also in the age of social media. You can you know the artists that you're fans of a lot more. But yeah. I think you guys do it in such a genuine way that that I that there that's true. It's funny. I just remembered that one time on the subway, I hadn't even seen the real world that many times. But there was this guy that was like in the subway next to me and I was like I just gave him dap you know and also it was because Soul Live was touring so much and I was like I probably met that guy and he like walked up and I totally knew him and I dapped him up and then I he like looked at me weird and then I realized later he was on the real world <laughs> right just like yeah, I just like said what's up to him I was like oh he didn't know me that guy but uh, I don't so know why. he was like ogling you as a, he, you thought he was ogling you as a fan. Yeah, yeah. And I was but like, oh, that, dude, that, I like, think I know that guy. And he kind of looked at me for a second, so but then funny. it turned out I just knew him from the real world, the, the show. <laughs> That's a great move to like to just go up and like. I kind of like just like was like, oh, I'm just gonna dap him up before you know before he even. That's asked, a great hey, thing up, to do you know? to like a celebrity that you recognize <laughs> and like not 
and like not saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I normally wouldn't have said anything. I don't know why in that moment I did, but that is anyway. Really, really um, funny. But yeah, I was just remembering too the the when I had the studio at the end in the back there, and you guys were like sleeping in there for like a couple days. Oh, yeah. I oh, love yeah. that studio. That makes made me good think memories. when you guys put out probably up. It made me think of that because I think I like <laughs> left at like three in the morning, and I came back a few hours yeah. later, and like some people were still sleeping, but like you were still like recording something, and yeah, we haven't. It would just like some someone amazing... would be woke, waking me up to just be like, "Can you just sing this uh like harmony?" And then I'd be like, "I remember." Then go back to sleep. Jordan recorded all of the Barry sacks on the album from like two to six in the morning <laughs> while while like several of us were sleeping on the couch. Yeah. And like I would just wake up once in a while and be like honk like <laughs> just like, get honked awake. I also remember always stepping on your shoes, no matter where I was. And I was I remember thinking, and maybe I can finally ask you this, is the no shoes thing out of respect for the space or a comfortability choice? Definitely comfortability, right? Okay. Oh yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big like shed everything immediately <laughs> guy. Like I, I remember that. I remember you would. I'd look over at you and you'd have like a puffy jacket, sweatpants, and like shoes on. And the next two seconds later, you have like gym shorts and a shirt on. I'd be like, where did it, yeah, yeah. all just be like oh, no. in a pile somewhere? I bring a <laughs> pair of gym shorts with me everywhere I go. In the I dead of winter, that. in the dead of winter. If I have, like, my big jacket, I've realized that there's an internal pocket that's big enough for me to fit a pair of gym shorts like the one I'm wearing. And so, because I have, like, the second I get to an indoor place, I need to just be, like, no yeah. shoes. You hate gym things shorts, touching your calves. Totally. Even when I'm wearing, like, pants, you're like, you're I'll roll them, them up, up above the knee. That is... I don't know. I don't know what it's all about. Um, so tell me a little bit about what's happening now. So the hotel TV is out. Lawrence tour is about to kick off, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've got, we're playing at summer camp. Are you going to be there? I'm like actually not going to be like... there this year. That was, I, I remember was that? No, I'm sure I've seen you since then, but I remember cruising up the old golf cart cruise. I'm a golf yeah, cart yeah. cruise guy. I like, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I just know, did that like, to Andy Frasco the other day. Like a, he like didn't know I was going to be there. I came cruising up on the golf cart right at the beginning of the song yeah, we would just written, and I used like I jumped up on stage and sang like with him for like a chorus, and then was off on the golf so cart funny. again. He was like golf cart crash. Yeah, I remember we were like in summer camp and we were so exhausted because we had like played a show the night before and like driven through the night to get there or something and we were all like it was like a hundred super loopy with a hundred million degrees and you just like drove by doing a very like presidential wave <laughs> out of a golf cart like you own the place we were like oh there goes Kraz. um but yeah so we're, we're playing summer camp um this coming month and then we're playing at bottle rock which i'm really excited oh that about. one's yeah that one's um, awesome yeah yeah like bottle rock um, which we've never been to. We've done summer camp once before, but Bottle Rock seems really cool. And we're playing like three sets over the course of the weekend. We're playing the main stage cool. and then we're doing some other thing. And then we're doing an after party. What is the date for that one for Bottle Rock? It's Labor Labor Day weekend. Okay, cool. So I think the, our main stage set is September 3rd. And then we've got like an after party on the 5th and maybe something else on the 4th. I don't really remember. Lots then, of wine. Lots of lots wine. Lots of wine. Lots of <laughs> <laughs> um, but then those that's kind of like the one-offs. And then the tour really starts October. We start in L.A. We're playing at the Novo in L.A. Oh, cool. on October 7th. Cool. Um, and the tour kind of just winds around from there. Um, 
and it sort of ends on the East Coast in December. We're playing uh, Terminal 5, which actually just sold out nice. on Dece- December 4th. Um, and we've got some other... You know, we're doing two nights at the Royale. One sold out, one's almost sold out. Uh, we've got Philadelphia. Yeah, like just a whole, a whole, the whole thing. And uh, then we're going to be announcing some more stuff for like spring 2022, more shows and everything like that. Just try to keep it rolling. Hopefully all the COVID stuff, like I don't know what it's going to be like exactly. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I've got a lot. I've got some shows and festivals that I'm kind of like, all right, is this all happening? But hopefully, hopefully all will. Um, People are starting to like put into place new, you know, precautions and things like that. So Hopefully everything happens. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see you guys. Hopefully I'll see you in L.A. And, yeah, uh, we should hang. I'll probably be there for a, at least a few days before and cool. after the show, too. So we should like, properly hang. Maybe I'll Sweet. go with you. Come hang, dude. Um, fun. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Everybody go check out Hotel TV. It's out now everywhere. And uh, I hope uh, we get to make some music again soon, you guys. That was like some of my favorite times. Uh, yeah we Us love too. you and that was like the one of the highlight periods of my life yeah, i had sure. so much fun with you guys i just like got most excited about music again being with you guys and oh that's and, so yeah. nice well, I, we got excited about music for the first time yeah, like, <laughs> I, think, like, I think like the, I, like you were saying earlier that like you know you were impressed with us and you learned some stuff from us even though we we're just getting started which is like super sweet of you to say but like in a very more like tangible real way like we learned so much of what we learned from you about like even though we were like you know you said like we own the van like i think i probably asked you like how do we get around when we tour you know like so many of those little things that people don't realize even if i already knew how to make a good chord change and gracie knew how to sing well on stage like yeah so many of those little things about just like being a professional musician we learned from you and we owe so much to you for that man i appreciate that uh well i love you guys give your your family uh hugs from me Me too and uh yeah i hope to see you guys soon I want to thank Clyde and Gracie for being on the show. So cool to talk with them again and relive making that first album. Um, before we go, I'm going to play a track off of that album. This one is called Where It Started From, from the album Breakfast. Can we take a minute? Pretend it all is just the same. How did so when you're in it? If anything has really changed, and I know it's cool, yeah, it's alright to play this charade for just one night. But when the time comes. To where it started from Could we take it back To where it started from If we only let it
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email krazplus1 at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.